0: Hey there, it's Kelly from Me. Before we get started on today's episode, I want to invite you to one of our greatest trainings ever. It's how to build and grow a profitable solo or group practice sustainably. All you got to do is check it out at slash All right, on to our episode. Practice Podcast and I am delighted today to have Margaret Donahue here sharing her journey of having an amazing profitable psychological practice in California. <laughs> We're gonna be Yay. diving into <laughs> her journey and her story, what has worked, what hasn't, and um, what life looks like for her today. Welcome Margaret. Welcome.
1: <laughs> so share with people
0: <laughs> share with people where you're located and your website address
1: okay so i'm located in glendale uh california um and uh we've been at this location since i think 2012 at the same place through the pandemic and everything (laughs) um seeing people in person so yay um I, I have my handy little mask.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Oh my goodness. For any <laughs> of you listening to the podcast. Little scarf. <laughs> you got to check out her very classy scarf. Um,
1: mask. Mask. It's gorgeous. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, and uh, okay. So, so my office is here. My website is uh, healthandpsychology.webs.com. Or uh, health and psychology uh, dot life.
0: Awesome. And um, tell us just a little brief about your practice, what it does.
1: Okay, so um, I so we have four people who work here. Um, I specialize in uh, doing health and psychology, working with chronic serious terminal illness and undiagnosed medical conditions. And I mainly do psychological and neuropsychological testing, some of which is for the courts, usually Mm -hmm. personal injury, sometimes other cases. Um, Ziba Sachin, who works here, does um, family therapy, couples counseling, uh, families with children. Um, All of us work with um, multilingual, culturally diverse, ethnically diverse And the practice was set up to do that. Um, And so Ziba also speaks Farsi. Um, Maria Martin uh, is, we're all psychologists. Maria Martin uh, works with um, immigration, uh, Spanish speaking families, uh, and works to hardship waivers and and other kinds of immigration types of evaluations forensically. Uh, those kinds of things. She retired from Pacific Clinics, uh, I think last year, maybe the year before. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's uh, Minas Hartunian, uh, who uh, speaks Armenian. um, And uh, he works with men and men's issues. So so that's our group. (laughs) I love it. I love
0: it. Okay.
1: Very diverse. And I,
0: And I love, and we won't get too far because we'll come back around to this, but like the intention behind it, we are creating a diverse, accessible practice. This is on purpose. This didn't happen by accident, right? Yeah. I love that intentionality. So before we dive down deep into that part, I'll ask you this question in a minute or less, (laughs) why did you decide to become a psychologist?
1: Oh, um, I started wanting to be a psychologist when I was in uh, sixth or seventh grade. Um, I had wanted to be a neurosurgeon, but I had a motor tremor. And um, so that was off the table. So it's like, well, what else can I do that has to do with being a brain doctor? Because I want to be a brain doctor. You know, kindergarten. What do you want to be? I want to be a brain doctor. You can't do that you're a girl, right? I'm going to be oh. a brain doctor. So I'm a brain doctor, right? <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh,
0: oh my so, gosh. Yeah. So I love that from like, you actually really knew in kindergarten, you just weren't sure exactly how there was right. some like adjustment of neurosurgeon to psychologist, but there right. was like clarity of purpose from very early. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And I, then... I, had,
1: I had gone through so so I I'm medically weird, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> so I had six treating doctors in kindergarten and I thought everybody had you know, at least two or three, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> so there was this girl in my class named Nadine, and I'm still friends with her to this day, at least Facebook friends. And I walked up to her first day of kindergarten and I said, So how many doctors do you have? Because I now have six. And she was like, what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) I only see doctors for shots. And so that was the first time I realized that there was anything remotely different,
0: Mm.
1: you know, before all the special ed, before all of the IEPs and, and all of that, it was like, Oh, okay. Now I got it, you know?
0: (laughs) Well, and how lovely though, too, that a, your parents had raised you in such a way that like, hey, this is just life and normal. And like, this is this is our normality, like it's okay. Right. And that Nadine like saw you in that moment as a kindergartner and wasn't like, oh, that's different. <laughs> she was like, that's different, yay. Yeah, like, right. <laughs> as it should be, right? That like right. we hug and love and bring close and say like, ooh, right. this is great <laughs> diversity in life and experiences. Right. Like so fantastic. Okay, awesome. So from the point that you started, that obviously you knew that very early. So what did the journey from like post high school to licensed psychologist look like?
1: Um, okay, so so that's sort of rapid track. Um, uh, in, in, um, to, to Before we get into uh, college, um, my parents owned a business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started working pricing aspirin bottles when I was four. You're like, I'm ready. If you're you're going to take the kids to the, you know, the job site, you gotta give them something to do, right? So I was pricing aspirin bottles at four. Um, My kid brother was throwing rocks around (laughs) in a stroller. And, you know, eventually I started working in the pharmacy. Canning out the pills, putting them in the bottle, because you can do that, and, and worked in the film uh, section of the retail pharmacy store, and then uh, worked in the makeup and jewelry section, all of that. And this is, this is in the 1960s, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> And so we got the ethnic product lines in, in the 1960s. Oh, wow. Right. So That's it,
0: very, um, like, <laughs> that's very bold of you in the 1960s. Yeah.
1: We were in Silmar, right between Pacoima and Silmar. And so it's a mixed neighborhood, Hispanic, African American. Uh-huh. And it's like, there are people coming in asking for stuff. Yeah, I want to sell stuff. Yeah, <laughs> let's get stuff. Yes, <laughs> you it know, makes you sense. Pink lipstick on somebody with brown skin. It doesn't look right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, my adoptive father had a heart attack. I ran the business hiring an, uh a uh, transitional pharmacist until he could come back and uh, ran the business my how old were you first at that point? you in college, so 18, 19. Wow, right? Wow, so it, it, it's shotgunned all the way through. I always knew I'd have a private practice, mm-hmm. it was just what do you have to do in order to be able to do that? So I knew how to write the books, so I knew how to write ad copy. Yeah,
0: um,
1: my father had me uh, write an ad when I was a little kid, like five. Um, and it went international because it was all these little cutesy pictures, right? So it was um, my mommy took me to Al Rexall to get medicine when I was sick. If you're sick, have your mommy take you to Al Rexall to get medicine, right? And it's all these little cute pictures, right? So there's a mommy picture, there's an owl picture, there's a pill bottle picture, you know, so all so of that. Sweet. <laughs> Right. And the International Journal of Pharmacy Advertising picked it up and published it just because it was really unique and all of that. But, you know, so that that's basically where I started learning all about retail business and sort of how you market and how you think about products and ordering and having supplies and what you have to do and markups and, and, you know, just in time merchandising and the sales. Yeah all of that.
0: What was it like going through school while already running a business? So you're trying to go through the process of get the bachelor's, go into the doctorate, do all that kind of stuff while running a business. How was that trying to balance that out?
1: Um, that, that was fine. I didn't get overwhelmed until I moved out into my first place of living because I had no independent living skills. <laughs> mm. So I didn't know how to keep house. I didn't know how to <laughs> clean a toilet. I didn't know how to, you know, um, I, I love that. I know
0: how to do accounting,
1: <laughs> but I can't clean a toilet. Like right, yeah, here's I, the piece. Yeah, I, I can create toxic chemicals that will knock me out, but, <laughs> but I don't know how to do any of this, you know? So, um, I moved out in graduate school well past when most people move out and then tried to live on my own uh, with a bunch of artists and, uh, (laughs) you know, um, figured out how to kill a lot of bugs (laughs) and right off of a ravine in Silver Lake and, and yeah, real great fun. (laughs) okay so
0: how long did it take you to get through the the doctoral process
1: okay so i shotgunned all the way through so just like you're just like go 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 i I never
0: stopped okay so then you got you got it done you got licensed right um shotgun right through so then what did life look like after licensure
1: oh so after i got licensed i was already running my practice i had started with another organization with my masters as the director of their program Mm -hmm. and then just simply transitioned into my program Um, and uh, opened up an office with a couple of colleagues, social worker working in cancer stuff, um, another social worker doing conservatorships and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And we had a lot of trouble with the landlord, those problems with the windows not being sealed, bees flying in, the elevator not working. And the final straw was I got assaulted. Oh. Um, So got a restraining order, went to court, all of that stuff. Um, And then I wanted to buy a house and found out I couldn't buy a house with 1099 income because the... So they're like, I'm like, I'm, I'm making enough money. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm financially successful. I can do this. So you want me to take a 50% salary cut, go work for somebody else and get a W-2? Got it. Will do. <laughs> so we bought the house out in <laughs> Santa Clarita. And I got a job working for Cigna in Pomona. Mm-hmm. So it's a one and a half, almost two hour commute. I could, I'm like,
0: I was like doing the math in my head. I'm like, that feels far <laughs> and there's traffic. So like, that's like probably like there's, two there's, hours. There's no, good there's
1: no traffic. Oh, okay. Because it's going east. Oh, you're like, cause there's no one traffic goes coming way. back. <laughs> cause it's west. Nobody's going out there. <laughs> well, I mean, you had that going for you. Okay. Right. Okay. Right. And I figured, you know, two years <laughs> give it two years I can do anything for two years <laughs> I worked with sex offenders for two years two years is my absolute limit
0: <laughs> you like I, I can, can do, do anything for two years oh yeah nope that exactly <laughs> probably should have been six months <laughs> right oh my goodness okay so that takes you to about the time you start private practice or did you do some other things before you then? No, because so, so, you so, had the private practice that you did with the group, Right. things shifted. You're like, okay, I gotta get the house, figure that out, went to right. Cigna, right.
1: got that figured out, realized right. like- now, what, what happened at Cigna was um, mental health had no constructs of business. You know, the people running it don't know business at all, so they aren't tracking anything, Mm -hmm. and I'm a numbers geek, Mm -hmm. right, so I started putting together um, as a way to show my boss that I was valuable, (laughs) here's what I'm doing in the Mm -hmm. eight hours that I'm here. Right. Mm -hmm. So here's all my productivity numbers. Here's the amount of numbers that I'm spending in individual, family, group, Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. And basically, I do up a spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I started doing that as a way of being able to document productivity because I was working at a couple of different sites. Mm. And I started doing testing at the hospital. And I said, one, I really like doing the testing. And two, I really like doing the numbers. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Cool. I left Cigna, went to work for Kaiser. And at, I think I worked for Managed Health Network before I went to work for Kaiser. But one of those, I started putting together uh, ideas that became fundamental for managed care. Um, so, tracking information about productivity and quality and all those kinds of things. I wrote a white paper for that, gave it to Kaiser, gave it to Cigna, gave it to Managed Health Network, gave it to a couple of other companies along with CVs saying, Can I do this somewhere? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, all of them adopted the stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I decided, No, no, I'm going to go into private practice.
0: wow okay okay so then you went back around you started what was the reason that you decided to go back around now that you had the house and all the pieces go back into private practice what was the driving factor for you um
1: because I was bored Mm -hmm. um because I I didn't have enough variety Mm -hmm. you know you have the same people coming in you're saying the exact same things over and over and over again it gets really boring um, and I wanted to have more variety. I wanted to be able to teach. I wanted to be able to supervise. I wanted to be able to write. I wanted to be able to do paintings. I wanted to be able, <laughs> you know, um, not just counted cross stitch. <laughs> <No. laughs> I wanted I wanted to be able to do more. And um, it just was easier to do it in private practice where I don't have somebody saying, what did you do all day, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I could control my work better. Yeah,
0: that freedom right. is such a powerful place to say, like, I can, I can track what's working and if something I'm doing isn't working, I can make an adjustment and there's no bureaucracy to say, well, wait a minute. Right. <laughs> like, can you write a right paper or report on why this will be beneficial. And you're like, but I could also just do it. And like, can, it I, would just be can I sit
1: in endless meetings talking about why the <laughs> office structure isn't working and there's no toner? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm you, sorry, welcome. can I rebuild welcome. your printer for you? <laughs>
0: no, thank you. Okay. So, 2012, you started your private practice. This is uh, the- no t-
1: 2010, I started my private practice. Okay.
0: Awesome. So 2010, start um, yeah, your private practice.
1: Lendale, right. And, you know, we've, been, we've been here since. So, yeah. Awesome.
0: What was, what did life look like that first year of starting? And again, you had done stuff in a group before. Correct. This was your own
1: thing. Right. Yeah. So, so part time I was working doing social security disability evaluations Mm-hmm. And I had set that up so that that would pay for everything. Mm-hmm. So I, I still do that. I only do it two days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I see eight to 10 people, sometimes more a day, doing mm-hmm. full psychological evaluations. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're relatively quick because the people are have very low iq or they're supposed to have very low iq Mm. Um, they're not supposed to be able to do simple work
0: Mm.
1: so it's very quick it's production work you see Mm -hmm. somebody they have already filled out whatever forms they've filled out you do your stuff you we're done you know it's Mm -hmm. a one-on and you do a gazillion of them And what I like about it is I'm exposed to a lot of people who have rare neurological or genetic disorders, Mm -hmm. you know. So I'll see one year I counted 35 Angelman syndrome clients. It's like whoa, right? (laughs) But they're all out in the Inland Empire, right? So it's Rancho Cucamonga, Hesperia, San Bernardino, those kinds of Victorville places, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, poverty level clientele Mm -hmm. uh and cool you know i can and that will pay for everything Mm -hmm. then i have my private practice which i limit to 15 people no more concierge and i determine who i see so, it's a 15 minute to one hour screening on the phone to make sure this is going to be a good fit. They can figure out how to fill out all the paperwork on the health thing and then go ahead and ta da, you know, and then go from there. Um, uh, and again, you know, if somebody is just here because, you know, they're depressed or they're anxious, you Let me give them to somebody who can do depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. Oh, you have a weird bacteria illness and you're depressed. You're my kind of (laughs) piece. You have a traumatic brain injury. Be my guest. You know, Um, Mm -hmm. uh, you can't cope with sudden onset, recent disability. Uh, Got this. You know, Mm -hmm. all of that. Uh, You somebody assaulted you who shouldn't have assaulted you. Sure. Uh, Let me testify in court. Let me explain why all of it happened. Let me explain who you are. Let me tell your attorney, how you'll play before a jury, all that, right? So so all that's really cool. And I get to do testing, right? And in addition to that, I get to play with Legos. Like lots and lots and lots of Legos. I (laughs) literally have a room full of Legos. So we have Lego therapy for adults and kids awesome it is really cool now my staff will tell you if you talk to them that they are not allowed to touch any of the motorized legos without immediate supervision <laughs> but the clients can right uh, <laughs> They're like, no, 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 no. They're, things have gone terribly in the past. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's just, it's like, no, no. This is, this, is, this is my Lego thing. You know, you can't, the, the, the tree house is really fragile. No. <laughs> Don't take the ceiling off. <laughs> you can change some of the leaves if I watch.
0: <laughs> so you've really developed a very unique psychological practice that is very diverse. Yes. Yes. What are the things, what are like your favorite things about your private practice?
1: I love my clients, um, hands down. I mean, Mm -hmm. um, it's so nice to be able to say that because in the other places that I've worked I haven't been able to say anything remotely close to that, but Mm -hmm. I really love my clients. Um, They're wonderful. They're hardworking. Mm -hmm. um, They know why they're here. uh, They get stuff out of it. Mm
0: -hmm. You know, if
1: I ask them how it's going, they'll tell you it's fine, it's working, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, I don't do a lot of starter clients, (laughs) <laughs> yeah like, I'm sorry I'm going to go too fast I'm going to piss you off it won't work just go see somebody for a couple of years find out what therapy is <laughs> see somebody else then you're like <laughs> yeah no, no. and if that easy. works
0: for you then you're right, good yeah. to go
1: if you're like
0: no something still seems off kilter and I can't figure right. out how to manage it <laughs> what was the most surprising thing as you started this practice what was the thing that kind of got you? docked up or, or feeling less than confident?
1: Oh, I say the most difficult thing even to this day is the fact that I'll get like 100, 150 emails on like 17 different email things. And I have a net zero email box. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Me too. So, so trying to keep it at zero is like, you know, so I'm one of those people, the phone tings in the middle of the night, I wake up, I clear my email. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so for anyone listening who is this person that needs their their inbox to be at zero, and that is spending way too much time managing that, there is something, and I don't get anything from this, but there's something called SaneBox that I use, and SaneBox basically turns my email into a digest, mm-hmm. and I give SaneBox permission, and I say these are the people that by- bypass the digest. And everything goes into the email. So like, and this happens over the weekend too. So like on a Monday morning, I'll look at my digest. There might be, again, you know, 300 emails or 170 emails or what have you. And I scroll through and I only select the things that need to go in my inbox. And the rest of it gets archived if it's not necessary. Yeah. So that can help some of you. And yet there is a certain amount of you're doing lots of evaluations working with the, the disability, working with lawyers and attorneys.
1: And I teach. <laughs> <laughs> of course you do, Margaret. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I teach psychological testing.
0: <laughs> How many hours a week total do you end up working?
1: Um, somewhere around 70, 75, occasionally up to 90, but, but 70 is a good number.
0: <laughs> awesome. So how do you find life balance? Is everyone's different as to like what their magic number is? How do you find life balance? Or does it feel like it's, it's a good
1: balance for you? Does it, 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 feel feels, like you... it feels good. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I get home in time to make dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, I leave before dawn. Mm-hmm. I come home in the middle of the afternoon, I can watch television for an hour or so before I make dinner. I can play with the cats. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, we're, we're right on summer break. So right now I don't have classes. I'm just starting to prep for my classes for the fall. Um, mm-hmm. But it, so far it's okay. You know, if, if I've got a couple of really big court cases, that sort of brings the hours to infinity and beyond. But, mm-hmm. um, but, it, but it's also the mental thought process about, you know what do i need to do how do i need to do this you what's involved in all of this those kinds of things yeah. that eat up a lot of time even if i'm not in the office doing stuff that's yeah that's the stuff i talk to myself out loud in the car <laughs> 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 on the drive it's like yeah okay fine let me think about this and then how would i present this to someone mm-hmm. yeah how do you know when you're like we talked about the idea
0: of like not burnout, because you're not burnout, you love your work. But like, how do you find that balance of what would be signs or, or things that you would look at that if it was like this, I would know that it had gone too far in one direction. Because I think there's this, everyone is so different in terms of like, for, for a lot of people, your schedule would not work, it would just not work, not at all. But you love it. And if it was anything less you would start to feel antsy and you would fill it with something else. Like that's, that's who you are. So for anybody out there who has that same place of like, I need it to be filled, but also I want to be healthy. What are some of the strategies you've used over time to ensure that you're finding that nice sweet spot?
1: If I'm having difficulty sleeping, Mm -hmm. if I'm starting to get irritated at people, um, uh, if I'm so annoyed at traffic um, that, uh, y- you know, I'm just hoping a truck takes me out. <laughs> Pretty significant, yeah. You know, I- I'm either going to run into somebody or somebody's going to take me out, either one, and please just let it be over. <laughs> when that happens, I either need to take some time off mm-hmm. and sort of regroup, or I need to spend some time painting or knitting or playing with the cats or gardening or something to be able to get that sense of everything's going to be okay. Yes. I think that place of like knowing yourself, I think there are
0: a lot of us in, in, in business and in this profession, and we work so hard to know everyone else. And you ask someone and say like, what makes you feel good? People just look at you blankly, like, wait, what? what? Like, no, like, what makes your body feel good? What? Oh, well, I feel like I should be going to the gym. Does it make your body feel good? No, I feel a oh. tired afterwards. <laughs> well, what makes your body feel good? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't thought about that in a really long time. I just feel that like really I should bad. be taking a bubble bath, getting a massage and going to the beach or, you know, whatever the thing is, or I should be going to the gym and that will make me feel better. But like, what if it doesn't? Like, right. we need to know what really works.
1: Right. Yeah. Like at the, at the start of the pandemic last year, when I saw it coming from China and the horrifying part uh, was when they set up the cordon sanitaire in Wuhan where they walled off the city and they started cementing the doors closed. I know what that means. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I was talking to some virologists in Wuhan at the time, because it's like, Oh, if this gets out, this is, nightmare this is like a a huge thing i just started going for walks so it's like you know i i just need to be out in nature i just need to walk down by the ravine and count rabbits Mm -hmm. (laughs) and just not think about all of this because it's going to be horrifying you know and then to know what's happening and watch the government sort of fumble along and not do any of the stuff that you're sitting there saying, you know, uh, excuse me, CDC, can you, (laughs) and I, and I've been through this before. I mean, we went through, you know, HIV, we went through, um, the virus that causes chronic fatigue. I've written to the CDC before. (laughs) It's the same thing, you know, and I've got my Dr. Fauci action figure, (laughs) (laughs) with a removable mask Um. of course you do
0: (laughs) tell not to go off too off kilter but i want to talk about this part you talked about remaining open during the the pandemic how was that decision because i know that that was a hard decision people that closed and went virtual it was really hard people that stayed open it's really hard there's all this judgment on both sides There's all of this stuff. How did you keep your center as you were deciding like, hey, here's what's really best for for my clients and their needs. Like, how did you keep your center and your sense of of sanity and safety through that process?
1: I'm old. (laughs) (laughs) So so, um, I had one of the first HIV positive clients in California in 1980. When the CDC will tell you it came here in 1981 Mm -hmm. Uh, My client was here in 1980, and I literally moved into his apartment in San Francisco uh, while he was hospitalized at um, San Francisco General. And I said, this is a bloodborne viral illness. It does not appear to be casually transmitted. And as long as we're maintaining routine safety protocols, it should be fine. And let's see what it does. And by the way, CDC, can you please protect the blood supply, which of course they were collating data. So here we are, this is an R4 virus now up to an R10. And it's like uh, for every person who gets the virus, they're gonna transmit it to four other people. It's going to be droplet. It doesn't look like it's fomite. They aren't seeing fomites in Wuhan. You know, so fomite is surface transmitted. Yeah. So it's not casually transmitted. It's mm-hmm. droplet. You have to be really close to people to get it. And if you're wearing a mask and you're hand sanitizing and you're washing your hands, you should be okay. Mm-hmm. It's not 100% foolproof. Mm-hmm. But we got the masks and the sanitizers and the, the stuff. And I already had in 95 masks. Mm. You know, so I, I'm prepped you know, in, in the yeah. middle of the, the next big pandemic, I got this <laughs> stuff in my trunk. I'm set to go, you know?
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. So how is that part? Did you, did you have any like scares or any of your employees contract? Not that you have to answer that because that may be protected information. But... So, so,
1: so none of my employees were positive. None of them worked here, but me, well okay. I was the only person seeing people. Everybody else went virtual. Okay. Um, Maria opened back up later on. Minus is, is still doing some stuff, uh, but it's behind a plexiglass shield. We've got plexiglass shields. I don't know if you can see it from there on the desk. But oh. We, oh, I we can now that you, that you said it. Yeah. So I mean, we've got all of the stuff. You yeah. know, I've got I've got air purifiers in the room. It's we're set you know so i'm comfortable with this i've got a big huge plastic shower curtain clear Mm -hmm. separating me from the clients in the other room Mm -hmm. you know yeah yeah i i've got this i'm not worried about it I'm not terrified, I'm fully vaccinated. And, you know, if you're not vaccinated, you're gonna hear how stupid that is for me, right? Unless you can't be. And even then, (laughs) I literally drove my, I I said, look, I said, the question isn't, are you getting vaccinated? The question is, which vaccine do you want? (laughs) And I will drive you there. (laughs) So I drove my husband. I I will say my, uh,
0: my grandmother really struggled with it, health concerns and all that kind of stuff and, and talking with her doctors and, and she was going through getting a hip replacement and her doctors were like more than clear of like, even the risk of you contracting it so much higher than the risk of any, any of the vaccines, no matter which way we, we run it, you know? you are in your 80s and you have these risk factors, like here it is. And so there it is, all that good stuff. And Oh my goodness. Okay, so for someone that wants to open up a diverse practice, one that has multiple languages and that is accessible to a wide variety of clients, what's the biggest piece of advice you would have to someone who wanted to open up a diverse practice that really meets the needs of the community around you?
1: So so the diversity aspect is easy. You hire for it. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's not the issue. The issue is what is it that the person can bring to your organization that enhances what you guys already do, Mm. right? So what's your niche? What's your area that you wanna specialize in? And then does that dovetail in some way, shape or form into the rest of it? Mm -hmm. And how independent can you function, right? Mm -hmm. Can you do your own billing? Can you do your own notes? Will you keep up on time? Will you, and what's your track record? And then how transparent is everybody, can everybody be? Because my office, and, and I think the thing that really sets us apart isn't the diversity, it's the transparency. Mm. So, you know, if you want to know what my bank account is, here it is. If you want to know who's getting paid what, here it is. Mm. Um, and it, here's what I'm making, here's what the profit and loss is, here's what my taxes are. If you want to see all of that, you can. Mm. And then you understand what I'm paying you, right? Mm. Uh, and it makes it really crystal. And when mm-hmm. it's that crystal clear, that translates into interacting with clients.
0: I think this is such an important point that the amount of, of group practice owners that I have met with where they've said, you know, my, my employees are so upset with what I'm paying them, but they don't realize that I'm, the way that I've set up my group practice, I could make more if I was solo. I'm actually like paying to employ them based on my my own caseload. They get paid more than I do. Like, wait, what is going on? And I think there is a certain amount of, and there, there's almost like a, well, that's it's not their business. It's sort of not. And they're a little embarrassed to say that, but then there's this weird disconnect of, it just ends up so uncomfortable. And I, it seems to me that a lot of the group practice owners where they are more transparent and they say, look, here are all the costs that go into this. It isn't just that here is the amount of somebody pays you $200 and I pay you 60 and then I put $140 in my pocket. It could look very, very, very different this is how much I'm investing per year on the psychological measures, and here's the other piece, and this is how much the office space costs, and here's the amount that goes into my my utilities and and making sure you have computers
1: that work and all the other pieces. but 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 here's the other thing, because (laughs) my work with social security pays for everything, Mm -hmm. they get 90% of gross. Wow. Right. So so what I hear from my employees isn't why are you paying so little. It's like, oh my God, do you need more? <laughs> you, is it okay? Like I, I could probably give you, you know 20% instead of you know 10. It's like, <laughs>
0: Margaret, you're going to be inundated with applications after this. After this, because yeah, you I are know. not making <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> right? So, no. so this is interesting. So I want to share this piece, right? For anyone who's listening, notice that this is a service to the community, right? This is not paying your bills. This is not right. paying for this the is, time that you put in. Absolutely not
1: paying your bills. This is somebody else who's paying my bills, <laughs> and all of that money gets funneled into the company. And then I get paid a small piece of that as do the rest of, you know, but, but they also know what I'm doing out there. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so it's like, Yeah. And that you are working a crazy amount of hours and but, this,
1: but, but, let me but, just be clear but, for anyone listening, <laughs> this model is not, this model what... is not sustainable <laughs> if you're in private practice, just doing this, it, 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 it isn't. And, um, it is if you're not doing what you love, don't be here. Yeah. You know, yeah. don't take a client you don't want. Yeah. You know, if you're doing immigration and you don't want them in the country, don't approve them. Oh. It's, <laughs> don't take fraud. Uh, yeah. Don't take a, a case that you don't want to take. If you're doing forensic stuff and it's stupid, dump it, mm-hmm. regardless of how much you've taken in. The number of attorneys who are absolutely shocked where I've said, you don't have to pay me. I'm not seeing your client. I won't testify for your client. Mm-hmm. And, and the amount of time that that feels wonderful. Pays for it. You know, <laughs> I, 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 it, it counteracts all the need to go see a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, cause I just get to live the life that I want. So, there's right. a
0: piece, right? Again, <laughs> I want to throw. I want to pull back. Yeah, it is, it is not a
1: sustainable model.
0: It's not a sustainable model. No, right? It right. only works because of. I would almost even say, like your neuro neurodiver- your neurodiversity, in that you can sustain a high workload right. right. and really enjoy it. Right, and it works within the way that your life is developed. Right, right? if you had seven kids at home, or maybe even one. Um, and not just your kitties that might throw off the thing. If you have, if your spouse needed <laughs> more, um, if your spouse needed more care, um, that might throw off the balance. There's lots of things that could throw off that balance. So right. I think sometimes too, we look at people, we're like, wow, they do so much. I want to do all of that. Yeah, good, and- good luck. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> Margaret is a, both an inspiring, motivating, <laughs> and a cautionary tale all yes. in one. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Okay. So, your, your, and again, going back to like your advice is like really only take clients that you love. Right. Really do the things that you love. There's no amount right. of money that is worth like your integrity. Right. Or your sense of like self and purpose.
1: Correct. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I love that. (laughs) (laughs) And I want to make sure, I think when I said like, you're going to get lots of applications. um, I don't know if you said it out loud, but she um, was doing lots of hand motions that said (laughs) absolutely not and and put in like X's and timeouts and things. So no to, she doesn't need or want any more employees in this unsustainable (laughs) model. Right. Uh, (laughs) And can we get like a huge shout out and thank you, right, from your employees who absolutely love it, who are like, this is fantastic.
1: Right. Um,
0: so, you know, guys, sometimes if you find something out there, right, obviously 90, you're probably not going to find. But those of you who are who are saying like, I'm only getting 80 or 70 or 60 or 50, know that in, in many of these cases, there's a sliver, if not zero profit involved for the person that's hiring you please like understand that piece so that you can move from feeling like maybe taken advantage of to just understanding the the dynamics of the business and if that doesn't work for you be honest with that and create something that does create something that you
1: love and you can feel really good about Um, it it costs me about three thousand a month (laughs) 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 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to over above them. my my take but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right.
0: so these are the pieces right? right so you know details right but yeah, you are right. doing a great service to the community you love the people that you work with right. and they know not to touch your lego room
1: that's Anything correct.
0: Rise, the tree has, is absolutely off limits. And they are like, I understand because I'm very happy in my position. Yeah. And,
1: and, and they will go in and they will change the roller coaster just subtly. And it's
0: like. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Well, for those of you who are listening, I hope that today has been really helpful. It's been inspiring. You have learned something from this amazing conversation. If you are looking for more tips and tricks on how to start your counseling practice, we have free trainings for you at ZinniMe.com. Check that out. We'll also have links to Margaret's materials um, in the show notes. So if you want to go and refer any clients over um, that you think she would love or that her employees would love, (laughs) then you could do that. Until next time, guys. I hope you loved today's episode. If you're a therapist who's tired of those long hours, low pay, and constantly battling burnout, don't forget our free video training designed just for you on how to build and grow a sustainable, profitable solo or group practice. Head over to
1: zinneme.com slash podcast to check it out today. Until next time.